0: You guys can be seated. Thank you so much. Y'all, I love Christmas, Like, like really, really love Christmas. And it's by far my favorite holiday. It's always been that way from the time that I was a little kid. I just loved Christmas. It is my favorite time of year, and it is just so magical. There's something different and something special about this time of year. You know, I'm that guy that will sing Christmas carols in July and and I'm the guy that thinks that it's not just okay but preferable to start decorating uh, the day after Halloween because honestly, who needs to look at like turkeys and cornucopias? Let's look at Christmas trees and wreaths and stars. There's something special about this time of year, and, and if you had asked me a few years ago why it was that I loved Christmas so much, I probably would have told you that it was about the things that we get at Christmas, you know, like, like peppermint mocha frappuccinos, and Santa's White Christmas from Barney's, I love coffee, uh, but also like the things of, of shorter days and, and colder weather, and if I'm being honest, presents. See, my love languages are gifts, and words of affirmation, which when you get right down to it are just verbal gifts. And, and, and so to me, like, I, I, I thought for the longest time that Christmas to me was about the gifts. And I know it sounds like super unspiritual to say that, but you know, don't judge me, that's, that's how God made me. It's, it's how he wired me up. Now, there's this thing that happens when you become a parent and no one told me about it. So if you're here and you don't yet have kids, I wanna let you know, this is, this is for you. When you become a parent, there are a lot of people that will stop giving you presents. And they say things like, isn't it more important that your daughter has a special Christmas? And yeah, sure, think of the children. Great. You know, it's, it, it's, that's, it is important, but, but here's the thing. You know, I, I, I know mom and dad, I mean, sorry, nana and papa now, it's, the truth is that you just care about my daughter more than you care about me. It's okay. It's okay. And, and, you know, my daughter Kate, she's seven now, and so I've had some time to get used to uh, the fact that there are fewer gifts under the tree with my name on it. And, you know, I know that my family still loves me, even if they refuse to show me love in the way that my heart is wired up to receive it. And, and I'm not bitter at all, I promise. In, in all seriousness, um, for somebody like myself, a bit of a gift monger, someone who finds gifts to be uh, uh, important, um you would easily think that that fewer gifts would kind of make Christmas less special. But what I found is that Christmas is still just as special now, even though there are fewer gifts. Apparently, with age and a lack of shiny new toys to play with, comes wisdom. And, And what I've realized is that this season is no less magical now than it was when I was a kid because it wasn't actually the gift in particular that made it so special. What made Christmas so special what made this my favorite time of the year and what keeps it my favorite time of the year is, is actually the anticipation, the promise of what Christmas could bring, whether that is a gift or whether that is uh, uh, something that I'm ready to experience or excited to experience with my daughter. It's, it's the anticipation this time of year. It's, it's that, that feeling, that sense that something special is coming. That's what I love about this time of year. And if we wanna get really technical about it, Christmas is actually just a single day. I had a professor when I was in seminary who was an Episcopalian priest, and he was very, very clear about that. Christmas is one day. Advent is the time that leads up to that. And and so on Christmas, Christmas is is the day that we remember the birth of the Messiah, the long-awaited deliverer of, of Israel. And Advent is the season that we remember that time that the Israelites spent waiting for him to come. And so, since Advent is that time that we spend waiting, it's that time of anticipation, I think what it is that I actually really, truly love about Christmas is Advent. It's that season of anticipation and, and waiting. And in general, the expectation is that this time of year is a time full of like happiness and excitement and, and everything is up and everything is happy, and, and, and I think that makes sense, it makes sense because we've got the benefit of looking back and we know when Jesus came and how Jesus came. But that wasn't the case for those who lived it. You know, the Israelites, they knew the promise. They knew that the, the Messiah would come, but they didn't have their Lego advent calendars to help them count down the days. And their anticipation was qualitatively different than ours. It was a different sort of anticipation rather than excitement and, and, and things like that. Their, their waiting was the longing of a people who mourned in lonely exile. And they were under economic and political and religious oppression from the Roman Empire. You know, they knew that the promised Messiah would come and rescue his people, but they had no idea when he was gonna arrive. Maybe it's easier for you to identify with that loneliness and longing this morning than it is that the joy and happiness that seems like you're supposed to have. And maybe you know you're supposed to be happy, but this is gonna be the first Christmas without your dad. And you don't know what that's gonna be like. Or maybe it's the first Christmas since she left you and. And again, you don't know how that's gonna go. It doesn't feel the same. Maybe, maybe Christmas hasn't felt the same since your kids grew up and moved and they have their own traditions now with their family and it's just not, it's not what you had before and it's not quite the same. Maybe things are hard financially right now and you don't know how you're gonna make Christmas happen. Or maybe you just look at the world around you and you wonder, is there anything to really be joyful about this year? If that's where you're at this morning, as we continue our Advent journey through the prologue of John's Gospel, I want you to know that's, that's okay. If the promise that you see is tempered with pain, that's okay because that's the way it was for the Israelites who awaited the coming of their Messiah. Even the Messiah that came to them is the Messiah that comes to people who await their promise in pain throughout all of time. So you can open your Bibles with me this morning to the beginning of John chapter 1, or you can just listen along as I read. We're going to be looking specifically at verses 4 and 5 this morning, but for the sake of context, I'm going to start in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Like Jim said last week, the story of Jesus doesn't start at his birth. It starts at the very beginning of all things. And and here's what we know so far. The word, also known as Jesus, he was present at the very beginning with God. And he was the one, uh, uh, oh, and he actually is God. He was the one through whom all things were made. And here in verse four, we discover that he has life within him. And we could look at those words that he had life, and we could see them to mean like biological life. And while that would be a true statement, I don't think that's what John is getting at here. What John is getting at is something more. See, John talks more than any other New Testament author about life. He uses it 36 times in this gospel compared to the next closest at 17. And from looking at how he uses it in other places uh, throughout uh, his, his writing, We know that when John uses the term life, he means more than just biological aliveness. When he talks about life, he's got something more meaningful in mind. The life that John is talking about here in verse 4 is the same that he's talking about when he gets to chapter 20, verse 31, where he says the reason that he wrote this gospel account is that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Professor and and commentator Frederick Bruner, he he sees this verse uh, as John inviting his readers, come into union with the word who made you and you will come to life. You came from him, he says. Please come back to him. You were made for him. And the promise of verse four is that as Bruner puts it, the result of this reunion, the result of coming back to the one who made you, It will be more than just human existence. It will be true human life. It might seem odd at first, but, but I actually think it's pretty fitting that our gospel reading plan for the year, it, it ends with, with Jesus' death. And we're looking at those things in the middle of Advent where we're talking about his birth. And I, and I think it's fitting that we do this because while at Advent, while at Christmas, we look back at the time when Jesus was born, that, that birth that actually finds meaning to the death of the man who went to the cross in our place to get forgiveness for our sins and they secure for us the hope of eternal life. In verse 5, John writes, the light shines in the darkness. During Advent, we, we anticipate that moment when Jesus broke into this world as a light into the darkness. And the metaphor that John uses here of light and darkness, he, he he uses it to say something incredibly powerful. And it's actually this one little bit of grammar that gives the verse its power. See, in verse five, we actually get the first present tense verb in John's gospel. Up to this point, everything has been past tense. The word was with God. The word was God, things were made. Then we get to verse five, and and as John looks back on creation and the birth of Jesus, we might expect that he would describe that moment in the past tense as well, saying something like the light shined in the darkness. Instead, John moves to the present tense, and he assures all of his readers throughout all future generations that the light that shined in that moment shines on even now. That's the hope that we have. That light still shines. John follows this proclamation that the light still shines with, with, with the statement that the darkness has not overcome it. John seems to be looking now from, from the point of Jesus coming into the world to the point where Jesus was raised up on the cross and died for our sins. See, Jesus, you know, he was rejected by the Israelites and, 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 he, was, and he was killed. And for a moment, it seems as though Darkness has extinguished the light. Except that three days later, Jesus is resurrected. The promise of verse five is that though darkness may have appeared to win at the crucifixion, and that when we look around, darkness may appear to be winning now. Nevertheless, the truest fact in all of eternity remains that the light shines on in the darkness, even still, because the darkness couldn't put it out. Not 2,000 years ago, not now, and at no point in the future. The light of all mankind is the resurrected light of Jesus. And even if we can't see it ourselves, sometimes that light shines on. And I get that that's hard to accept sometimes, and I get that the joy of Christmas can seem to be too much in the face of all the brokenness in the world. And if you're living in that tension this Advent, you're actually in really good company on December 1st, 1863, in the middle of the Civil War, poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow received a telegram at dinnertime that his eldest son, Charlie, had been severely wounded in battle. He'd been struck in the left shoulder by a bullet that traveled the width of his back and skimmed to his spine. Charlie avoided paralysis by less than an inch. And the army surgeons informed Henry that his son's recovery was gonna be lengthy and uncertain. There was still a risk that Charlie would be paralyzed. On top of that, just two years earlier, Henry's beloved wife had had died in a fire in which Henry himself had suffered severe disfiguring burns while he tried to save her life. His grief over that loss had been so severe that at times he feared that they would put him in an asylum because of it. And so on Christmas Day in 1863, when Wadsworth, a 57-year-old widowed father of six children the oldest of which had been nearly paralyzed in a war that was ripping apart his country, heard the Christmas bells ringing and people singing songs about peace and goodwill. He did what all writers do. He sat down with his pen in his hand and he sought to make sense of all these discordant emotions at war within his own heart. And the poem that he wrote, Christmas Bells, it reveals this, this inner tumult. As he heard the carefree rejoicing of those around him in the remembrance of the Messiah's birth, he felt like the brokenness and injustice of the world in which he lived just called all that into question. Could it possibly be true? Peace on earth, goodwill to men, could that be true in the midst of his pain? And, and the nation's calamity. It, it didn't seem to make sense. The old familiar carols of peace on earth and goodwill to men, they rang hollow to him as he lamented. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. If you turn on your TV or look around, there's no denying that hate is strong and that peace and goodwill seem to be in short supply. Brokenness seems to pervade everything. Every year, the Oxford English Dictionary staff, they choose the word of the year. The word that they chose for 2018 is toxic. The rationale behind the choice of that word is that they have found that this this word, which which if you define it really strictly means poisonous, that word has been described, has been used more this year than any other to describe the, the, the vast array of situations, concerns, people, and events that people face in this world. If you're having trouble seeing the light this Christmas, I get it. I can't tell you what changed for Longfellow, but ultimately his bleak despair that gave way to something stronger. And he concludes that poem. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The right, the wrong shall fail; the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill towards men. It's hard sometimes to see the light at Christmas. That's just a fact things in our life, they, they make it hard. Sometimes, like OJ was saying, it's, it, it's the constant busyness and all of these other factors that fill this time of year, the, the pressure to make it special for those around us, the, 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 the pressure of, of meeting the expectations of others, but also the unmet expectations that we have of others. This time of year can be draining and there are so many factors that work against us just organically noticing God's presence in our lives this time of year, which, is, which is, seem, seems counterintuitive uh, when you think about that we're looking forward to the birth of Jesus. But really, so often this time of year is a time when it is hard to see where God is in our life on a day-to-day basis. So what do we do? We've got to get intentional about stopping to see the light. Every summer, my wife, Kara, and I, we take a team of high school students uh, from, from here at Summit Church on a mission trip down to the Dominican Republic. And when we're there, we encounter and we interact with extreme poverty, people living on less than $1.25 a day, supporting families on less than a $1.25 a day when the brokenness is not just out there on TV, but it's right there where you can touch it, where you can interact with it, it gets hard to see the light. You've got to be intentional about seeing the light. And so one of the ways that we, that we tried to do that was to help guide our students through this ancient Jesuit prayer exercise. It's called the Prayer of Examine. The idea of it is this. We take a few moments at the end of the day to sift through all the noise, all of your day's experience. We ask God, to reveal the places that he's been present with us that day. Among the things that we ask them to prayerfully consider are these. With whom did you most connect today? And why do you think that was? How are you feeling at different times? Name, try to name the moods that you felt. As you consider your whole day, when did you notice times of light or life? Where have you seen the face of Christ in others today? What gifts have you received? Not the kind that I have a penchant for, but you know, like the metaphorical sense. What, what has blessed you today? Then we close by, by asking them to take a moment to talk with God like they would a friend about what they've experienced. If you're having trouble seeing the light this Advent, try slowing down and prayerfully looking around. Find five or or ten minutes of quiet space in your day and ask God to reveal Himself in your life. And look, I'm not guaranteeing that this is gonna work for you the first time. It's it's not gonna come easy, but we're promised that the light is there. So if you keep looking, you will find it. It's kind of like a muscle that you have to train, really. And and normally we'd wait to the new year to start talking about going to the gym, but it's like, find, it's like starting a new, a new workout program. You've got to stick with it long enough to get past the initial pain and get to the point that's life-giving and the point that's refreshing and builds you up. It takes work, so don't give up. If you're not re- yet ready to sing joy to the world this year, I get it. I've been there myself, and it's okay. You don't have to feel guilty or try to fake the joy that you think you should have. In fact, some of the best Christmas carols that we have—they're actually about that mix of pain and promise. I actually think that's what Geisel was getting at when he when he penned that that, that classic opening line: "You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch." Now, actually, uh, maybe not that one so much. But have you thought about the, you know, the the, the first, the, first chorus, or the I'm sorry, the first verse of A Holy Night." And in there it says, long lay the world in sin and error pining. The world being described there that's filled with brokenness and waiting for the day when things would be set to right. You could write those words right now and they would be just as true. But here's the thing, long lay the world in sin and error pining isn't the end, it's just the beginning. The verse continues, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Things might seem bad right now. Things might be hard right now. But nevertheless, we cling to the promise that the light shines on now like it did on that very first Christmas morning, and like it did on that very first Easter morning, and like it will when Jesus returns to finally set everything to right. That's the promise That's our hope. There will be a day when everything is set to right, but what do we do in the meantime? We live that real life that comes from being in union with Jesus. That's the life that Jesus invites us into. And it's not a life of passive waiting, of merely living out some defeated existence until we're set free from this broken world. It's a life of purpose as we live into who we already are. His image bearers reflectors of his light. And we saw the same declaration on the lips of Jesus recently when we were looking at the Sermon of the Mount, when Jesus had everyone gathered around him and he told them this, he said, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Are you shining your light? And there's this old adage that says, you can't feel your way into acting, but you can act your way into feeling. And you don't have to be able necessarily to see all of the light in order to start serving, in order to start doing something good. But, but oftentimes, You see the light best when you're engaged with trying to bring light into the world's darkness. The places when you look around you see brokenness and it may be hard for you to see the light there, those may very well be the places that you can actually bring a flicker of light to someone who's been swallowed up by that darkness. Maybe that's through serving those in your home or your school or your office or your neighborhood. Maybe that's by engaging in in the mission of Summit here locally as we seek to make a measurable impact on the lives of the most vulnerable children in our city. Maybe it's engaging globally by, by joining one of the Africa teams. Maybe the way that you need to shine your light is by telling your story. This season seems to lend itself to storytelling. I don't know about you guys' families, but, but every Christmas that I've been a part of with my family my wife's family and, and some of the families of my friends, what happens is we start, we start telling stories. We get to hear what Christmas was like when granddad was a kid. We watch old home movies and we make fun of the, the mutton chops and the hair and, and, and how things looked. But the whole point of that is this. Shared stories, they bond us together. And they also give us hope. They give us hope when we can see how far we've come. And the reason that we say your story told truthfully is good news around here is because it's true. People need to hear your story, where you started, how far you've come, the good and the bad in between, because your story may be the thing that gives them the hope that they need so they can face being alone again this year. Or that they can trust Jesus to be with them when they don't know what things will look like in the new year, or that they can get sober or stay sober. Your story shines light. Story is so important. And we spent the summer and, and most of this fall semester in story with our high school students at EDGE. We started by bringing in summit staff members like OJ and regroup director Kaylee Newkirk, uh, BCL writer Michael Murray, and, and lead pastor John Parker. And we had them come in and share their stories. They're real stories, not just the good parts but the hard parts too. And and we did that throughout the summer and then this fall we looked at the stories of these eight different Old Testament characters. Again, they're real stories, not just the good parts. And the thing that we saw over and over again is how the hard and painful things are oftentimes the things that God used for good. That's the power of your story. The places that are hard the places that God has brought you through, those may very well be the hope that you can shine for someone this year. As much as I love Christmas, it's not always perfect for me. Like the Christmas a few years ago when our business was failing and I didn't know what I was going to do for work in the new year. Or the Christmas a few years before that between the miscarriage and the birth of our daughter, but we didn't know if we'd ever get to be parents or the Christmas, my freshman year in college when I'd gotten dumped by my girlfriend, I didn't think I'd ever be happy without her. But actually, looking back, that one should probably go in the good column because I dodged a bullet there. Like, <laughs> I, I can't guarantee you how or when, but darkness always gives way to light. In Advent, there's room for both the promise and the pain. And wherever you are this morning, that is okay. But you should know that you can trust that no matter how dark it seems, the light still shines on. And you can know that our job as long as we are here is to be people who bring light, who are light to the world around us. And I can't tell you exactly how God wants you to shine light, but I do know that he does because being light is how you and I are fully us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for meeting each one of us right where we are. Thank you for loving us so much that you sent your son into the world to die in our place to make it possible for us to be in relationship with you. And God, as we wait in anticipation of the moment when your light breaks into the darkness, God, I pray that you will be near to those who are struggling and lead them to hope. In the midst of all of our busyness this season, I pray that you would grant us the time to slow down and to see you at work in our lives. I pray that you would make us people who can see your light in the world and make us people who have the courage to be light in this world. (coughs) Show us where you want us to engage with the brokenness in our world and tell us when you want us to share our stories. God, help us to be people who truly show your love to those around us this Advent. We ask it all in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, in whom we put our hope. Amen.